Welcome to Life Lessons with Dr. Steve Shell. For 20 years, Dr. Steve's 30-minute radio program, Life Lessons, was heard throughout the United States. Committed to comprehensively teaching through entire books of the Bible, Pastor Steve pulls out the deep, eternal truths in each section of Scripture without skipping over the challenging passages. He applies what is learned clearly and practically so that we're inspired not to just be hearers of the Word, but doers also. As we watched the Lord prepare him personally, we saw three elements that the Lord used. Do you remember what they were? First of all, it was suffering. <laughs> not, not your normal list. We saw he used suffering in Moses' life. And what did he teach Moses through his sufferings? Compassion. And we're going to get to patience. He, we, we, by suffering, we become compassionate to the sufferings of others. But, and then the second one was failure. Hallelujah. And he uses failure to teach us humility. We real, have to come to a place where we know we can't do the work of God. That anything that's going to happen is going to take a miracle. God will have to do it. We are at an end of our own resources. It's in a very important place. And it is not as obvious or as easy to come to that place as it might seem. We can all say, yeah, I know God needs to do it, but our heart doesn't know that. But God brings us to a place where we do know it <laughs> through our failures. And the third one was frustration. And through frustration we learn patience. And why is patience important? Because anyone who's going to deliver anybody must learn to be patient with people. If we are impatient, we will drive people, push people, we will use people. If we're ambitious, our heart's wrong in the way we deal with people. And so we saw God prepare a deliverer. We're going to see him call a deliverer. God is going to give his call, call to ministry, to Moses. And we'll learn something about being called by watching how God calls Moses. Father, would you open the word to us? We would be deliverers. We would have you use our lives. We want to be disciples of yours, not just churchgoers, not conservative politically. We want to be true disciples of Jesus Christ. We want to serve you. We want your purpose and plan and design for our lives to be brought to pass. We want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. And so, Lord, would you feed us with your word today? Would you open our spiritual ears and eyes? And, Lord, would you grace me to speak the word so that you can do that? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There are numerous examples of calling in the Bible. Abraham is called. Samuel is called. Isaiah is called. Jeremiah. Ezekiel. And these are, of course, I think there's many more, but these are all recorded, actual descriptions of the moment where they were called. Jesus was called. Peter, James, and John were called. Paul was called. There is a calling. What we want to look at today is, is, is this call. But let me define it, first of all. What is a call? What does it mean that we are called of God? A call is a, in my words, a personal summons from God to participate with him in delivering others. A personal summons. There are general principles upon which we all know and we should act, but that's not a call. General principles, 
obedience to what truth I've heard, a book I read, a sermon I heard, that does not constitute a call. A call is very personal. It is between you and God. God speaks a call. He summons you personally. There are nearly an infinite number of ministries and things we can be called to. I mean, there's all sorts of ways that God does his great delivering work of people. There are so many kinds of bondages and needs. Remember what a deliverer is? A deliverer is somebody who sets free from bondage, somebody who rescues someone from evil, someone who unburdens the oppressed, sets free, rescues, and lifts burdens off of people's lives. That's what you do when you deliver somebody. And there's just so many ways. There's sickness, there's oppression, there's, 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 there's uh, addictions, there's anger and bitterness, and there's plain old unbelief and people perishing and on their way to hell. There's, there's so many ways that people need to be delivered. That what God calls us to will be quite unique to us. But a call is a personal summons to participate with him in the delivery of others. We are summoned to cooperate with God's plan, not ours. As we read this situation with Moses, God's going to say things like this. I'm going down to Egypt. I'm going to deliver my people. I'm going to take them out of Egypt to the promised land. And you, bud, are going to help me. Say, you, bud, are going to help me. You, bud, are going to help me. That's a call. And would you notice what it is? It's a call to participate in what God has fully intended to do. I say that because a lot of people come up with good ideas and say, now, God, because I'm doing this for you, you have to bless it and bless me at the same time. So, God, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this for you. Aren't you pleased? Now, I want you to bless me in this. We've got it all wrong. You don't grab God by the ear and say, come on, we're gonna, bud, we're going to do this. He grabs you by the ear and says, no, I'm going to do this and you're going to help me. It's very important you make that distinction because a lot of people have become very disappointed and frustrated in, the, in their ministry because they, they think, here I am trying to serve God. Here I am with the best of motives. And there's nothing wrong with your motives. It's a to- but your method stinks. You've got it all backwards. You don't decide. It's not your call. Bad pun. But it's a call that we must have. He must call us. He summons us. I'll talk later about what we do while we're waiting for that definition. We are summoned to cooperate with his plan. We don't summon him to cooperate with ours. God says, I intend to meet this need, and I have selected you to help me. Now, there are different kinds of calls. And if you look through the Bible at all the word call, you get a little confused. There are calls one, one, one call is that God summons the entire human race to believe in his son, Jesus. Everyone is called to salvation. He summons every believer to become conformed to the image of his beloved son. We're told that that's his absolute plan. Everyone is called to holiness, 
called to be Christ-like, called to the cross. You and I are called to become like Jesus. That's an essential call. And as you go through the New Testament, you'll see that phrase and that use of calling over and over again. We're called unto holiness, called to be like him. But every disciple is also personally and individually summoned to take their place in the body of Christ as a minister. Now, that happens at different places in our lives. I think it can happen in numerous times. But when it happens, it will be a personal summons from God. You may say, well, I'm not sure I could hear God if he did speak to me. Let me put that at rest. When God wants to talk to you, he can talk to you. It's like a freight train coming through the living room wall. You won't miss it. One of the things over the years that I remember spending a long time, many years trying to get God to, to, to tell me I could leave. <laughs> uh, really, if you want to get down right to it. And that's not here. But he didn't say a word. And then when he finally did speak to me, it was so loud and unmistakable, it made me mad. And I said, I knew you could talk to me like that. Why all these years have you been silent on this? Well, and of course the answer is, upstart, that I'll talk to you about that when I want to. I'm the boss. You're the little guy. And you just sit there until I tell you. We do forget he's God. It's kind of we get the order a little mixed up. At least I do. So every disciple is summoned to take their place in the body of Christ. We receive different types of calls to to infinite amounts of different kinds of ministries, but we are all going to be called. Why are we having this conversation? It's really important that you understand your call. If you have not had one yet, that's okay. I'll tell you what to do till then. But you will get one, in my opinion. As a disciple of Jesus Christ, he will call you. You will know that you know your assignment, and it's an important part of it. Why is a call important? Why should I be called? Why why do I need that in my life? Well, it provides focus, for one. When God says to you, this is what I want you to do, it takes all of the confusion of so many options. I could do so many things for God. I don't know what to do. I mean, there's hundreds of things I could do for him. It's kind of this diffusion of our energy. And at some point, the Lord comes along and says, now, this is where I want you to place your discipline and your energy. I may use you in other things as spontaneously as I will, but you will serve me as as this portion of my body. Here's how I want you to serve me. It focuses our energies. It also gives us endurance. When I know I'm called, when I know I'm placed, I'm able to handle all of the opposition and difficulties that come against me. When I don't have a call, I'm restless, unsettled, always in the process of, should I leave? Should I stay? Should I keep doing this? Oh, I'll do it one more week. This kind of thing, which is extremely draining on your energy. When God calls you and says, I've put you here, it lets you get roots settle down and quit discussing whether or not I'll leave and just get about doing what you're assigned to do. It's really important because all ministry is assaulted by the enemy. No ministry is easy. Nothing. 
I mean, not, there is no such thing as ministry that's effectively touching the people, lives of people, that's delivering people from bondage, that the devil's going to miss. He doesn't go, oh, I never noticed her in federal way. What is she doing? You're kidding. How many children has she brought to Christ? And we missed her? No, he doesn't miss you. And, and so it's essential that you have a calling. That you also know your, how the Lord protects you. You are safe in your ministry, but you are, must be wise. But that you have a calling and you don't, you don't run every time the thing gets tough. Uh, haven't you seen Pentecostals in particular? Um, God told me to do this. God told me to do this. And then next week it's, no, God told me to leave. God told me I'm burned out. God told me to marry you. No, he didn't. He told me to marry you. And no, he told me to marry you. And, and move here, do this, do that. And after a while, their credibility is absolutely zero. Because either God's an idiot or they are. But there's no options, one of the two. Because it's so unstable. I'm, not, I'm, I'm taking a real shot at people that use God talk inappropriately. And I mean to. If you say God said so, you better be sure he did. It's downright blasphemous to use his name and declare he told you something when he didn't. And you're just going on your own wishes and wants. I hear some people say, I've got the peace of God. What they mean is I've finally given in to my, 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 my passion, my desire, and I feel peaceful about it. That's not the peace of God. That's self-indulgence. So when God really speaks... He really speaks. And if you don't know the difference, then just be quiet till you do. Because when he speaks, he does not change his mind quickly. Wish that he would. <laughs> Tried to make him. Moses will. You're gonna, we're going to watch him try to talk God out of it. Boy, big time. And the third thing it gives you is hope. No matter how dark it is, no matter how tough it is, when you're called, when God says, I'm going to do a thing here. I'm going to do something wonderful and you're going to help me. You know it's going to succeed. You may go through dark times and dark periods of it, but you're going to know that God will make you fruitful. Now, let's have a look at Moses because he is, about to, he is being called here and uh, we want to see how God calls him. I'll start at uh, chapter 3, verse 1. What I was going to show you in verse 23 of chapter 2 is simply, uh, well, I guess I will read it. It's a pretty essential piece. Chapter 2, verse 23, now it came about in the course of those many days. Moses has been 40 years in the land of Midian. He is now 80 years old. And it says, the king of Egypt, Pharaoh, died. And the sons of Israel sighed because of their bondage. And they cried out, and their cry for help because of their bondage rose up to God. Two important factors here. We're being filled in. One is the man who wanted to kill Moses and the other government officials, he'll say it in another verse, are dead. So Moses is safe in that sense to return. Secondly, the people of Israel are finally praying to God. Now, I don't, that's actually the implication of that verse is finally, they're not only groaning and moaning, but they're groaning and moaning to the Lord. They've had other gods. I don't know what else has gone on, but they're finally praying, and something has changed spiritually. Verse, chapter 3, verse 1. Now Moses was pasturing the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, 
the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Another name for Horeb is Mount Sinai. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, yet the bush was not consumed. My assumption is that what he, cons- he took to be fire was really the Shekinah glory of God, that that brilliant light of God was shining off of this bush. He's herding sheep. Notice whose sheep he's herding. It's his father-in-law's sheep. After 40 years, he doesn't have his own. Now, either he's a terrible businessman or something, because Jacob would have owned the place by now, (laughs) wouldn't he? Yeah. It wouldn't have been his father-in-law's sheep he was herding. But Moses, he's just puddling around with a bunch of goats and sheep, and he looks up on this, this hillside, this mountainside, and he sees something sparkling, something brilliant up there. It looks like fire. And then he walks over and says, I wonder what that is, because it's not burning out. And then Moses said, I'll turn aside and see this marvel. And then when the Lord saw that he came up to, to look, the Lord called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. I want to sound like Charlton Heston. Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. And then he's told to take off his shoes like a slave, uh, for he's in the presence of his master. First of all, point number one about the call God gave to Moses is it was inconvenient. He's 80 years old, he's out herding sheep, and God decides when and where he will call us. It is not convenient. It seems like the, the stream of God's spiritual world and the path of our lives just intersect at rough places. Whenever God really breaks in and talks to you, it'll be inconvenient, a terrible time to do this. Couldn't you have asked us earlier? Couldn't that call have come at 7 in the evening, not 2 in the morning? Whatever. But it's just like God's world and ours just intersect in rough ways. And so it is inconvenient. But he's clearly able to communicate with us when he wants to. Notice that? Moses is a fairly dull guy at this point spiritually. But boy, when you have a bush doing this kind of thing, you know, the talking bush, uh, you get your attention. Moses would have said to God, I'm 80 years old. I've been just herding sheep for 40 years. All my ambition's gone. Why now? Jeremiah the prophet When he got called, he said, I'm just a youth. What are you thinking? Let me grow up a while. Sometimes God calls comes too soon. Sometimes it seems too late. It's always not on our time schedule. It's inconvenient to us. But God sees issues that we do not see. He may or may not ever explain them to you. That's his choice. I can, I can see at least four issues Moses did not know about as he's out there herding sheep. One is he didn't know Pharaoh and the officials in Egypt had died, that it was now safe physically for him to return. They wouldn't kill him on sight. He didn't know that Israel was finally praying to God. Something had changed spiritually among the Hebrew people in their slavery. They were now passionately crying out to Yahweh, the true God. I think there had to be a time for his family to mature to a place where they could do this. He had to take, 
He did take his sons and his wife and everybody with him. If he had tiny babies, that's a pretty awkward thing to do. So they had to wait till the boys are old enough to go with him. He's about to head off on a pretty wild expedition. And then finally, I also think God is watching Moses' heart, waiting for his ambition to die. He doesn't use ambitious men. He wants that ambition to die. And he knew something had died. And the response of Moses proves it. So first of all, God's call is inconvenient. You can count on that. Secondly, his will is immutable. I'll just read verse 10. Moses says, uh, God says to him, I'm, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I've seen the trouble that my people are going through. I've come down to help them. And then verse 10, he says, therefore, come now, I will send you to Pharaoh so that you may bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt. God does not say to him, Moses, I've got a great plan. Would you, well, would you consider helping me? You're the, I think you're just right for this job. I believe it would be very fulfilling for you. I believe it's a good match for your gifts. Here, take a test and let's see. You know, he doesn't do that. He simply says, I'm going to do this and you, bud, are going to help me. Notice he doesn't ask. He summons. Who does he think he is? God? He just says, you're going to do this for me. Right? That's how he asks. So his will is immutable. Moses is now going to get, try to get God to change his mind. I'll show you in a minute. He'll come up with four major objections as to why he should not be the person called. He argues with God to the point of getting God upset. But God's will doesn't change. If he calls you, if he wants you to do this, he wants you to do this. Last night, a man came up and he says, I'm struggling. I don't know about my call. I said, don't, have you ever heard God call you? He said, well, I thought I did, but I, I, I'm not sure anymore. And then we got deeper into the discussion and what the problem was. God called him to an area of ministry he didn't want to do. He says, well, God told me my gift was compassion and I don't want to do that. And I said, oh, so it isn't that you didn't hear the call. It's that you don't like the call. Different subject. Now we have a whole other level of conversation. Don't play games with God. Don't do this. I didn't like the first call. Let's see what plan B looks like. Because there's not going to be a plan B. And don't think you can wait him out. You're getting older a lot faster than he is. I'm serious. I've tried. Sometimes, however, we can stubbornly refuse to, to cooperate with God until we actually negotiate from him what I would call his permissive will. There are certain things he will allow us to do if we force his hand. I have done this. I know how this works. Uh, but when we do it, it always brings sorrow. Forcing God's permissive will brings sorrow. How did Moses do it? Do you recall? His last objection was that, I don't speak well. I'm not a good public speaker. I'm too slow. I need help. And so finally God said, all right, we'll send your brother. And if you recall, his brother was trouble. Aaron was 
Aaron made the golden calf. He wasn't, he wasn't plan A. Mo, Aaron was plan B. Mar, Aaron was forced upon, as it were, the situation by Moses' stubbornness. When God tells us to do something and we don't know how we're going to do it, we would be wise to not bargain with him or ask out of what he wants. Just say yes. His ways are best. Someone may be listening to me right now and say, oh boy, you're talking about a call, and I know I've had one, but I told God no. I told him no and walked away. Will I ever get another chance? The answer is, yes, you will. But the circumstances to which you were called, the potential or the opportunities or the, or the, or the people may well not be there anymore. Life is like a passing river. And there may be no place for you to go back to. It's not like you can go back and do all that you were told to do originally. But who you are, the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. The way you're designed, the basic ministry of which God wants to do through you, that will not change. And so when you finally say yes to him, he will then use you in the potential and the situations that are there now, which will be different than what you were called to originally. You can't go back. If you try to force your way back to the situation you were called to, it'll be sin. So you simply say, Lord, here I am now saying yes to you. How do you want me assigned now? There is a right timing for things. Thirdly, so first of all, his calling is inconvenient. It is secondly immutable. That means it doesn't change and it started with I. I needed a word. And thirdly, his selection is illogical. After all, he's calling you. And that is just exactly how we feel about it. Uh, When he calls you, you're going to say, you've got to be kidding. There are many people far more qualified for this job than me. And that is exactly what Moses will argue. Look at his objections. First one is in verse 11 of chapter 3. God says, I'm going to send you to Israel. I'm send you to the people of God, and you're going to lead them out of Egypt. And Moses said to God, verse 11, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt? What he means is, I have no relationships with those people. I've got a brother and a sister. That's about it. They don't like me. I have no social position or status with either the Egyptians or with the Israelites. Why would you pick someone like me? You need somebody they all respect, not me. Now, none of us will have ever thought of such an objection. Lord, I don't have the proper social position or relationship here. Find someone better. But Moses did. Then secondly, verse 13 Moses said to God, Behold, I'm going to the sons of Israel, and I shall say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now they may say to me, What's his name? And what shall I say to them? Now that may seem like a strange statement, but I'll show you what it means. Uh, by the way, I'm the only person in the world that knows what it means. Now I, I am, This is not what other people say this means, but I think it's quite obvious. Moses was raised for 40 years an Egyptian. He, wasn't, he didn't give it, get a theological training. For the last 40 years, he's been living with a Midianite priest. 
He's going to come back to the, to the elders of Israel and say, God called me to lead you all. And they're going to go, right, you prob are so ignorant, you probably don't even know his name, do you? And the fact is, Moses then goes on to say, and I don't. What is your name? You see, there, lots, of the, lots of the Semitic people around there knew the name El, El Shaddai, El Elyon, all of these kinds of things. The, the, the name El was a generic God kind of name. But God had revealed his covenant name to Abraham. And actually, farther back than that, Shem worshipped the, the sons of Adam, worshipped the name Yahweh, Y-H-W-H, just four consonants, not even, not even the vowels, Y-H-W-H, Yahweh. And, God's, and Moses says, when I show up, they're going to know I'm theologically completely unprepared and ignorant. And they're going to challenge me and say, you don't even know the, the real name of God, do you? And I don't. How can you do this to me? So the Lord says, well, let's just fix that right now. My name is Yahweh. And then let me explain to you theologically what my name means. It means I am that I am. I am the ever-present, ever-existent one. I am Jesus Christ, the same yesterday Today and forever, I never change. That's who I am. Well, he solved his problem. He gave him an answer to that one, but that doesn't stop Moses. He goes on with another objection, chapter 4, verse 1. Moses said, what if they don't believe me? I'm going to tell them that I talked to a bush. And that the bush told me to come and rescue him. And what if they don't believe me? What if they say the Lord hasn't appeared to you? They will think I'm either lying to try to get some kind of religious basis for my, to lead them. Or that worse than that, that I'm deluded. That, that I was out talking to bushes. And that I'm, I'm a crazy man. But they are not going to believe that God has actually called me. I have no proof of my calling. So God says to Moses, you need proof, huh? What's that in your hand? Well, my staff. Throw it in the ground. Boink. And it hits the ground and turns into a serpent, probably a cobra. Moses runs from it appropriately. Then God says something really strange. Grab it by the tail. Now, how many of you know that is the wrong end of a snake to grab? It is. I mean, if you're going to grab a snake, you grab it behind the head. You do not grab the tail. All you're doing is asking for trouble. But he grabs that thing by the tail, which I think takes amazing courage. I mean, that was, that was a point of obedience right there. I don't know if I, I just sort of said, no, I don't think I can do that. He grabbed the, the cobra by the tail, and it goes back into a wooden staff. Then God says, I'll give you another one. Put your hand inside your, your, your cloak. So he sticks it in and pulls it out. It comes out just covered with leprosy and disease. And he says, put it back in. Puts it in, takes it out. Now it's perfectly well. <laughs> Pretty cool, huh? Whoa. And then he says, now if they don't buy that, he says, I want you to take some waters out of the Nile River and pour it on the ground. And when it hits... It'll turn to blood. 
I don't believe those are three arbitrary miracles just for sensationalist effect. I believe they're prophetic signs in which God is literally explaining what he'll do. They are powerful signs. So God says, nobody's going to believe your call, huh? Try these. Well, that still doesn't solve uh, Moses' objections. He's got one more. Verse 10 of chapter 4. Then Moses said to the Lord, Please, Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither recently nor in time past, nor since you've spoken to your servant, which is, I think, a disrespectful comment he made. You have spoken to your, uh, for I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. Moses says, I lack communication skills. I'm a poor public speaker. They'll laugh at me. I hate talking in front of people. Now, thousands of years ago, people were afraid of talking in front of others. We have evolved upward and become this great race now who is not a bit afraid of speaking in front of others, right? They say it is the most universal fear of all. It's the worst fear of anything is fear of speaking in front of others. Listen to his objections and see if they sound familiar. No, Lord, there's surely others who are more qualified for what you're asking me to do. After all, I lack any social position or respect from people. I lack proper theological training. I lack proof that I'm called. They'll think I'm crazy or lying. I lack communication skills. I hate talking to people, Lord. Call somebody else. Anybody hear something familiar in those? Notice how he's responding. So God's call is inconvenient, it's immutable, and it seems illogical. You won't understand why God picked you, but frankly, it's none of your business. Your answer is yes, sir. Not to argue with his logic. Because you see, this is the deal. He actually picks people that can't do it. On purpose. Because he knows, and even tells Moses, I'm going to do miracles that will make this happen. He says to Moses, you can't speak well, fine. All you have to do is just repeat the things I tell you to do. Just stand there and repeat them. That's all you need to do. I'll do the rest. You see, God sees the situation that he will put his miracles in it. He will do it. He says, I'm going to deliver them, not you. You're my helper. You're my little helper, okay? All I need you to do is say what I tell you to say. Do what I tell you to do. That's all you have to do. I'll do the rest. And Moses keeps turning his focus on himself and saying, I don't have the capacities. I don't have the strength. I don't have the wisdom. I don't have the training. Of course we don't. Wrong focus entirely. Fourthly, the plan is impossible. It can't be done. He says, uh, verse, verse 17 there, the Lord says, I'm going to take these people out of the land of, of Egypt to, the, to this promised land I have for them, the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Amorite, to land flowing with milk and honey. But when you get there, uh, I want you to say, we're going to go out and have a worship service about 60 to, uh, to 100 miles out into the Sinai Peninsula. Uh, let us go. And he said, of course, Pharaoh won't let you go till I just beat him up good with my miracles. And then, then he will let you go. And then he, they're actually going to send you out with all sorts of wealth. Right. Now that is completely impossible. You won't fire a shot. You won't raise a sword. You won't have any kind of military action. 
But you'll simply go and you'll ask to be released and, Israel, and, and Egypt will let two million of its slaves go. Right. I don't think so. It's completely impossible, isn't it? Totally impossible. And then the Egyptians, when you go, are going to wave goodbye, sending you off with their silver and gold jewelry and their best clothes. I want you to dress all of your children when you go out so they're all looking beautiful as they march out of town. Yeah, right. Every bit of it came to pass. But God will, what he has in mind, you can't do. I can't do. But he's going to accomplish through his miracle power. And fifthly, yes, it's true. The call is inconvenient. It is immutable. It is illogical. It is impossible. But it is also wonderful. What he's going to call you to do is to deliver many people. Many people will be affected. Their lives will be changed. You say, oh, no, no, I'm just a one-talent person. God won't use me to reach many people. Jesus says this. He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, this is John 15, what is he going to say? You will bear much fruit. Say much fruit. Much. Louder. Much and then he goes on to say, by this is my Father glorified that you bear that was weak. By this is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. Yes. How much fruit? Much fruit. That is God's will for your life. Don't you ever say I'm a one-talent person. If you've got a one-talent, you're going to make that thing pop. Then you'll just use one talent to reach much fruit. Fruit means people. This isn't talking about the fruit of the Spirit and the development of your character. It has nothing to do with that there. That's another subject entirely. This is talking about you being used to deliver people. People from spiritual death, from disease, from de depression, divorce, confusion, loneliness, hunger, poverty, addiction, despair, anger, fear, bitterness, injustice. He's going to use you. And when he does, it's his miracles and it's his plan and it's his purpose. He's going to do the delivering. You're the helper. And when he uses you, he will give you much fruit. We think too small. Our God's too small. Our understanding of what he can accomplish in our lives is so small. He doesn't want to do a little thing. He wants to do much fruit through your life. You've got a purpose. You're on earth for a reason. And by the way, we all serve the Lord, but it seems like there are certain moments that you are literally born for. And you may well not have lived that moment yet. Moses is 80 years old, and he's just about to start his moment. He's been biding time for 80 years, and now he's going to live the purpose he's called to. There's a season of our lives that God has called us to be using powerfully for him. You may say, well, Steve, I'm listening to all this, but I don't believe I've ever heard a call. I'm a reasonably new Christian, whatever it is, and I haven't heard such a call. What do I do now? Do I... Do I uh, go out and herd sheep? Here's what you do, quickly. First of all, join yourself to the body of Christ. Get into the community of God's people, where people know you and love you. You've got to be prayed for. You've got to be stood. People got to stand with you. You must be part of God's community. Secondly, you need to humbly help someone else who does have a calling. Look around. Find someone with a calling. 
And then say to them, I've got two hours on Friday afternoon. I don't have a lot of time. But I do have two hours I could give you. Can, how can I help you? And just commit to regular, disciplined, faithful time to do what you can do to help someone who does have a calling. You say, oh, you're just, you're just keeping me busy. Oh, no, no. All ministry has certain principles that are common to every form of ministry. There is an assault that will come against you. You will not feel like ministering many of those weeks. The devil will really heat it up just, just before Friday afternoon, every Friday. You'll run into the same obstacles that Billy Graham runs into. You teach a children's class. You help somebody who's doing a hospitality ministry. You do anything. You'll run into the same powers, the same obstacles, the same lessons that Billy Graham or any of the great leaders run into. It's all the same. And so you're starting to learn spiritual maturity. You're starting to get your feet on the ground. You're getting the foundations. And in it, you'll begin to have your gifts and your sense begin to rise up. And it's a moving ship that God can steer. So as you begin to get involved like that, you'll begin to sense very likely at some point the Lord will speak to you and, and begin to show you what your calling is. It may not be doing what you were doing at all, but you'll now know what it is you're called to do. Would you bow your heads with me? How many people would say today, I know my call, and I'm doing my call. I'm following what I know the Lord has shown me to do. Would you lift your hand and just hold it up for a minute? I want to pray for you first of all. Hold it high. Father, I thank you for each of these men and women. You have spoken to their hearts. You have called them. You've said, I'm going to do this, and this is how I want you to be part of that. And we have said yes to you, Lord. And we bless you for the privilege and the honor. And I pray right now for each of these men and women that that call would burn in their heart. Lord, you give them focus. You give them staying power, endurance. You give them burning hope that as you work through their lives, every bit of what you've promised will come to pass. If the devil's tried to steal that hope, steal the confidence or boldness of that call, I ask you just restore it today. That as we look at Moses and we see how you call him, we know how real this is. I pray that the call in each heart would burn, burn strong. That they would stand and see much fruit. You've called them for much fruit. And I agree with, Lord, your lovely call on each life. In Jesus' name. You can put your hand down. One more question. Anyone else who has heard a call, but you have said no to it, you've run from it, you've stalled, you have not responded openly. But as you hear the word today, your heart is prompted. You're, 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 you're troubled. You know that I cannot do this running thing anymore. I don't like the call, but I know it, and I'll obey it. Anybody need to say, I'm not running from it anymore. I may have to, the circumstances may have changed. It may have been a long time. I may have been, been holding out for a long time, but I know I have a call. And I'm going to say yes to that call. Right now in the Lord's presence, I'm going to say yes. Who needs to raise their hand and say, I'm responding to that right now. Lift your hand high and just hold it up. Who else? I think there's a few more that ought to be up, as my heart says. Thank you, Jesus.
Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, Lord. They're kind of going up slowly. I'm not surprised. Don't run from this. Remember, if he's called you, it's going to work. You don't have to figure out why. It's going to work if he's called you. Yes, there we go. Praise the Lord. All right, just keep it up. Holy Spirit, we begin by repenting. You have loved us enough to come and call us to your service, to let us partner, and yet we've been afraid. We may have had some of the objections Moses used. We don't like to speak, and we're not theologically trained, and we're not got good social position for this. We have no proof. Nobody will believe us. Nobody will follow us. And we've let those doubts and those fears, those lies from the devil, prevent us from obeying. We didn't just boldly do it because you said it. We had to figure it out first, and we've, we've, we've been wrong in that. We ask you to forgive us. But right now, in light of your faithfulness to your servant Moses, you'll be faithful to us. And we declare it, and we say, yes, sir. And those of you with your hands up, if you're just, just right where you are, say, yes, sir. Yes, sir. The, you've called us. We know that. And we're saying to you today, yes, sir. Now, we may not know what the next step is. We don't know where to go. Everything may be totally changed from, the, from when you actually spoke to us. But the gifts and calling of God, we declare, are without repentance. Your purpose and the way you have designed us has not changed one iota. And so, Holy Spirit, use us now. Take us and may we serve you. And we just say that the years that are ahead, what we have in front of us now, we declare by faith we will bear much fruit. And by this will our Father be glorified. We'll use these years for you and we will glorify you in every way. And let you do a marvelous thing. Thank you, Holy Spirit. I give you praise. I give you praise and adoration for the beauty and the, and the, and the fruitfulness that will come out of these lives before we've even seen it. In the mighty name of the Lord Jesus, we pray. And if that is your prayer, would you say amen? Amen. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please click the like button, subscribe, and share it with a friend. For more information, just head to our website, lifelessonspublishing.com. That's lifelessonspublishing.com. There you'll be able to order many of the books Pastor Steve has written.